Are you looking for your next wine challenge? Do you want to taste more than 300 wines in 4 days? How about joining a community of passionate, qualified Italian wine specialists and gaining one of the most coveted qualifications in the wine world? Apply now to the Vinitaly International Academy and you'll have all this at your fingertips. Pedro Ballesteros, Master of Wine, says VIA is the only Italian wine program that delivers high-quality training and serious exams. More details on our website www.vinitalinternational.com Italian Wine Podcast Cin Cin with Italian Wine People Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden. My guest today is Matilde Poggi. Matilde's family estate is called Le Frage, and it's in Cavaillon Veronese in Verona province in the Veneto region of northeastern Italy. Welcome. Thank you, Monty. So we're going we're gonna to deal with two subjects now with you. One is your estate, Le Frage, and then a little bit about the Federation of Independent Wine Growers in Italy, if that's okay. Very good. So why, first of all, Le Frage, why the name? Le frage means in our dialect uh, uh, strawberries. So when I started winemaking in uh, 1984, this winery, it was a family one. And um, we did not know where this name came from. But uh, then uh, when it is very curious, because when I stopped using herbicides, so I turned to organic, it was 2008. Three years later, I saw that these vineyards, which is giving the name to the winery, which is a vineyard in front of the winery, is uh, full in, in uh, summer, late summer, with uh, wild strawberries. So I guess uh, that uh, this name, which was a name uh, people named, uh, gave this name to the to the vineyards in the past. Uh, I think uh, I guess it comes from these wild strawberries. So it's amazing that um, how influential a changing farming practice. Has has become, and you're obviously it's given the name to your to your winery. It's like these little plants were just waiting for the moment that they could come back up again without the herbicides. And um, it's a great, I think it's a great story, and it's a real story as well about um, the power of conventional farming and the even stronger power of of natural farming. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so when you were when you were a, a young girl, were you involved at all in in the family business, or were you just uh, studying all the time? We come, uh, actually the family comes from Genova and uh, we moved uh, to Verona province in uh, 1981, uh, sorry, 1881. And uh, since 1960s, the family, uh, my father's family was uh, vinifying and uh, bottling uh, uh, the wines with uh, another brand name. So I remember when I was a child, uh, so we, we lived, uh, all my life I lived uh, where I am now, so in the countryside, and uh, I remember when I was a child, uh, after school uh, in the afternoon, because at that time there was no, no school in the afternoon, just in the morning, and uh, we went uh, harvesting, and then uh, during the holidays we had helped uh, the winery, uh, maybe labeling and making sense. Everything was made by hand at that time. So, And I really liked uh, going to the vineyards, and I was very much impressed on how these, the vines are changing uh, during this four seasons. So 
and every year they are coming, they are starting again. Of course, this is normal for every plant, for every tree. But for me, it was I was a child, so I was very much impressed, and I like very much seeing how season, how vines are changing during the season. So, and then uh, I studied economics, so I was not studying anything related to agriculture. And then when I was 22, I decided to challenge with winemaking. So I started this own brand, Le Frage, uh, vinifying the grapes of my father. When you started doing that, that must have been quite a moment of truth for you in your life. You know, can you do it? Can you make wine? Can you make this a commercial success? Was it very difficult initially? Yes. Yes, it is. It was because, uh, but it's still difficult because with wine, with wine, I say always that it is a business, a very long-term business. So you must have projects with long-term and uh, because, you know, you come from a, you start from a vineyard and the vineyard lasts for about 45 years. And then uh, every year you have to challenge with something new because every year, new grapes, new season, new climate, new weather conditions. Every year you have to to look at the grapes, to try to see the plants, to see the vineyard, how it is. And uh, you must challenge with it. So you must take the best from these grapes. But every year is different. So 35 harvests I've done so far and um, nothing. Nothing at all, because every year I have to learn, and I'm still learning. And so in a normal job, in another job, in another... So 35 years is a lot of time, but in wine is really nothing. Okay, let's talk about some of the grape varieties you work with. You have a white wine called Camporengo. Why is it called Camporengo, and why is it? Um, what is it made from? Camporengo is made from uh, Garganega. So Camporengo is the name of the of the vineyard, and uh, Garganega is the grape, which is an indigenous grape of Verona, mm, very much uh, used to make uh, uh, soave, so very famous appellation. In my area, I am close to Lake Garda. There was always some garganega grapes in the vineyards, but they, there was a small amount, so maybe 15%, and it was uh, vinified together with red grapes to make Bardolino, which is a red wine. And uh, I decided in 19, my, pa- my father planted uh, some Chardonnay and uh, I took it off and I planted some Garganega in 1992 because I wanted to have a wine, a white wine made with indigenous grapes. And I'm very happy with it. It is a typical Garganega, although our soil, which is a moraine, so it's a lot, we have a lot of stones uh, in our vineyards. It's very different from uh, Soave, which is more volcano. So it is a typical Garganega, although it's much different from Soave. So Does it, is it more full-bodied? Is it lighter? Has it got higher acidity? Um, no, it is. I think that Garganega uh, in Soave is more uh, more rich, maybe. Ours, mine is more uh, straight on and a little bit more uh, higher acidity and no sugars at all because I like very much dry wines. So. Okay, so what you talked about Lake Garda, what influence does that have on the on the vineyards in terms of maturation and humidity and heat? Is uh, Lake Garda is the biggest lake in Italy and one of the biggest in, in Europe, but it's very deep. 
So is uh, the microclimate over there, although it, we are in the north of Italy. And sometimes when I come to the U.S., uh, people, when I say I'm coming from Lake Arda, people say, ah, I have been to Lago Maggiore or Lago di Como. But uh, this is uh, totally another story because um, Lago di Garda is microclimate in the southern part of Lago di Garda is very Mediterranean. And you have uh, the flowers uh, and the plants. The Med- Mediterranean plants even though we're in northern Italy because of, yeah. this, because of this big body of water that creates yeah, a warm... Yeah, because it's very deep and uh, so it's absorbing a lot of uh, warm during summer and it is releasing very slow during winter time. So microclimate over there is very particular and um, it's a warm area, although I am uh, in a, maybe in the coolest climate, uh, coolest area of Bardolino and much more to the north of the area and it is also very windy because uh, we are uh, at the end uh, we are very close to river Adige Valley and from the river Adige Valley uh, there is a lot of wind coming from the north and bringing uh, fresh air and cool air so is uh, influenced where I am from the lake and the warmth of the lake and from uh, the mountains and this breeze, this wind, which is uh, every day there in the morning from 4 or 5 o'clock a.m. to 10, uh, 11 a.m. So it's very, there is always air going on, and which is very important. I am organic, and this is, having all this wind, is very easy to be organic over there. Okay. You make um, what's called a chiaretto. Badolino Chiaretto, Rodon is the name of the wine, and it's made, I think, from Corvina mainly and Rondinella. What is that? Is it a red? Is it a deep rosé, a light rosé? What is it? It's a very light rosé, and uh, this is very traditional in our area to make uh, rosé wine. And uh, actually, Badolino Chiaretto is the biggest appellation for rosé in Italy. And uh, we make it with uh, 80% Corvina, 20 Rondinella, Sagné with just uh, six hours skin contact. Do you ferment them together or separately? Separate because they grow, so they ripe uh, at a different time. Normally there is uh, 10 days uh, difference between Corvina and Rondinella ripening time. So you pick Corvina first? Yeah. And then Rondinella? Yes. So what what are the typical flavors of Corvina? What does it give? Does it give body and black fruit or um, Rondinella light with red fruit, how does it work? Corvina is between, among the two, Corvina is much more considered, is considered the best, so gives more tannins, more spicy, and um, is a little bit more difficult to cultivate because uh, has a very, has small bunches, but closed, and uh, the, the skin is very thin, yeah. So it's a little bit more difficult to cultivate, but uh, it's giving this uh, spiciness to both to rosé and ro- red, which is for me very interesting. So I like that very much. And uh, maybe Rondinella is giving more the, the fruity and uh, some uh, salt to the wines. And I really like these two grapes. They are giving uh, very, very nice wines. I like because they are light. The rosé is light, but very straight, very bright acidity. 
and of course no sugars left and uh, do you drink that with food or on its own I would drink it a lot uh, as aperitivo or also with food it pairs very good with uh, everything every dishes with uh, tomatoes and I like it very much with pizza Okay, with lots, of, with lots of tomatoes on top. What about the, uh, you make a red Bardolino from the same Corvina Rondinella blend. They're both vinified apart, um, I think. Um, what do you drink that with, a Bardolino? Do you have, is it a wine being sort of light and fruity on its own, or does that also pair well with food? I think that Bardolino, I always say it is like uh, a wine. You, you, you can drink it uh, with nearly everything, except for... Uh, game or very spicy. I mean with yes very spicy meat is not so much but otherwise you can have it with pasta with soups uh, white meat fresh cheese and also with fish and I suggest always to drink it a little bit cooler so not say like a white or a rosé but uh, 15 degrees 16 degrees Celsius which means uh, if you are at home just uh, half an hour in the fridge and then it is perfect because if it is is a wine with a very delicate tannins so not too much tannins and so uh, if you drink it a little bit cooler it is uh, you must, you can appreciate much more the spicy and the fruity. So, so that's great. If you're a sommelier and you've got Bardolino red on the menu, you know exactly what to recommend your clients when they're choosing their food. So you also do a Bardolino Classico called Brol Grande. What is Brol Grande? Is it the name of a place or a fantasy name? No, it's the name of the vineyard. And Brolo in our dialect means... Uh, what the French say, claw. So a vineyard closed, uh, so with a, a wall made with stones. And um, Brol Grande means it is a bigger, the bigger claw we have. This is a single vineyard wine, Corvina always, and Rondinella, always majority of Corvina uh, to Rondinella. And I put it in, I vinified it separate since uh, 2011 because I've seen that this vineyard is, has, a, has always done very good grapes to make the, the red Badolino, not the rosé. And so I decided uh, to keep it separate. And uh, then it is vinified uh, like uh, our Bardolino, but then it is aged partially in uh, big oak, 40 hectoliters oak, old one, so neutral. And uh, since uh, 2018, Brol Grande, which is not uh, yet released, uh, was uh, vinified and aged just uh, in concrete. Okay, now you're a member of uh, FIVI. What is FIVI? FIVI means uh, Federazione Italiana Vignaioli Indipendenti, so it is uh, the association of independent wine growers all over Italy. We are now 1,300 members, and I am the president since uh, 2013. We are making a lobbying, so at the institutional level, we are stakeholders. So we bring uh, the voice of a small independent wine growers, so which are the, grow the wine growers are independent because they have their own vineyards, they vinify their grapes, uh, they bottle the wine, and then they sell uh, directly, so personally, their, their bottles. Normally, they are family, small family 
Italy wineries and uh, artisanal, they make artisanal wines. And Phoebe was born in 2008 to bring this vo- the voice of these uh, independent wine growers to our ministerium and also in Europe to the European uh, uh, government because everything in Europe regarding agriculture is decided at European level. So it's very important for us uh, to be among inside the Confederation of Independent Wine Growers together with other 11 countries uh, in Europe which have uh, independent wine growers and uh, we make lobbying uh, in uh, Europe as well. So what successes have you had with uh, changing European Union agricultural policy regarding smaller producers? whether they're wine producers or even, I don't know, producers of milk or whatever? It's very important to to try. I, I always say that we must be there when the law is going to be decided because sometimes it is enough to change one comma and bring it uh, to the next uh, world to change the the law and give evidence to these wineries which uh, are very particular because we don't buy bulk wines and we bottle as soon as the market is going to ask for it but we start from our vineyard so we we must bring and we we, we want to be protected when we make our job, which is to bring uh, the identity of this terroir uh, to the bottle. And uh, we want to be protected. Sometimes Europe decided to make some to make some laws which put the small artisanal producers out of the market. This is what not, we don't want to disappear. So what kind of rule are you talking about when you say that laws have edicts have been passed that have not helped the smaller independent growers, whether they're normal farmers or wine growers or fruit growers? What sort of thing is are you, are you angry with or angry about? We always have to fight against uh, bureaucracy because bureaucracy for small wineries or or big wineries is the same. The paperwork is the same and for a big winery is much easier because normally they have uh, some uh, people working for them and they are just uh, uh, engaged to work, uh, to to make bureaucracy. For us, normally we speak when we say independent wine grower, you must think about uh, one person or one family which is where everybody is making some work in the vineyards and then going to the cellar and making some wine and then in the night they in the evening they have to answer to emails and uh, collect the orders and uh, speak with the consumers and then uh, deliver the wine and then going back to the vineyard and this is so uh, we, we ask to be a little bit helped to consider that these wineries have um, other requirements. I mean, they have other needs, not requirements, have other needs compared to the big ones. We we have also a logo, and uh, when you see this logo of our, which is uh, on the labels or on the caps of our wines, it is a man bringing a basket of grapes on the shoulders and uh, in the shadow it becomes a bottle. That means that it is a man uh, making, his himself is making everything from the grape to the bottle. So I hope that in the future this logo, which will be much more recognized from the market, I hope that people will buy when they see that. 
Well, I hope so too. Uh, I want to say thanks to my guest today, Matil Poggi, for talking about Le Frage and for Italy's Association of Independent Wine Growers. And what Matilda's been talking about, this idea of the bureaucracy, it is a, it's almost like a disease, this, um, the amount of paperwork, especially in Italy. And you get my partner audits lots of agricultural enterprises. That's one of her jobs. She's a commercialista. And she can have, literally, I can see 500 pieces of paper on her desk to a ream of paper, all print-offs, and that's just one estate for like one month, one month's uh, maybe the agritourism, they've had some guests and they've had to buy some stuff and they've sold some wine and then they had the tractor broken, this had to get an invoice for that and then the diesel for the... It's unbelievable. I mean, our house is full of documents, so I see that firsthand. I'm not making any of this up. This is true. Our house is full of pieces of paper and, um, and it's just overwhelming. Yeah, and there's also another issue, which is uh, this is overwhelming, yes, and we are, um, but we, if you have a, a winery, you, you must do that, so... Yeah, you have and, to, otherwise uh, Another issue down. which we have to consider in at European level is uh, distance sales, and that means that sometimes uh, selling, uh, normally selling a pallet to US is much more, much more easy than selling it in Europe, because in Europe, paperwork is much more important. And so this is really absurd. But also we we asked in Europe to have a law for distance sales because selling wine from the winery to private consumer all over Europe, which should be like it is the law, so should be a really our internal market is very difficult. So here, uh, big wineries have a better life because they yes they are imported all over it all over Europe, so they can sell. And uh, if you have uh, private consumers coming, tourists coming visit your winery, they buy wine. It's okay. Then if they go to their country, they they would like to buy some more wine. And you are not exported in this uh, European country. But that's kind of ironic because we've got this big debate at the moment about the European Union, which is kind of like the United States of Europe. And the idea would is that, so we've got a grower in this case in northern Italy and maybe somebody in Holland or Germany sends an email and money and says, I can have a case of your, whatever, Badolino. And I would just think you'd literally take it to the post office, whatever, and, and, and send it away. And you're saying that's not actually easy as that. It, there's a lot more paperwork just to get that box of wine from Italy to, to Holland. Yeah, and it is much expensive because you have to pay somebody to make this paperwork because we are small, we can't do that. Uh, we, we are not allowed to do that on ourselves. ourselves. So uh, we have to pay a lot of money to other companies to make this paperwork for us so which is because uh, we every country yeah, because it's it. an alcoholic beverage because it's alcohol yeah because mm. uh, there is excise duties and uh, every country in Europe has a different uh, rate. tariff yeah tariff, tariff right yes. yeah I didn't know that yeah no, I thought so, okay so that's interesting so I uh, anyway wish you every success Matilda with your with your vineyard where you live is a beautiful place it's very bucolic and uh, it feels really natural. I mean that in the in the widest sense of the word. It's not a winery that's been spruced up for to, for fancy coach parties or fan, fancy journalists. It's a real, it's a step back in time, but in the best sense of the word. And um, the Fivi organisation, the Independent Wine Growers of Italy, have been very lucky having you as their as their leader and president. You know, you're articulate, um, you're coherent. You're passionate, and also you, um, your personal story shows that you're absolutely authentic in what you do. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Italian Wine Podcast. Until next time, 
I'm Monty Walden and I'll leave you with an instalment of Everybody Needs a Bit of Scienza. Essentially, Finitely International Academy community members send their questions for via Chief Scientist Attilio Scienza to answer to the best of his ability. Cheers! Taiwan podcast. He just told me that it's. Are you recording this? Yeah. He's just told me we're doing. It's like our style is Good Morning Vietnam. I don't know what that means, but let's call Susanna Gold from New York City. Here we go. Dorme, dorme. No, for say in Metropolitana. Hello. Hey, Susanna. Susanna Gold from New York Hi, City. Steve. It's Stevie Kim here, remember? Hi, Stevie Kim. Of hey. course I remember. Hey, what, were you, what were you thinking? You, were, you said you were going to call in at, like, I don't know, 11 o'clock. That's like 4 o'clock your time or 5 or whatever. Right? Yeah, I did. You did? did. Oh, come on. Jacob, yeah. she said she called. I'm going to have to fire Jacob. I just hired him, and I don't have an alternative, so... He's going to have to stick around for a bit. Listen, I, Susanna, I'm here with um, Professor Scienza, un'altra, diciamo, um, amica, Italian Wine uh-huh. Ambassador, la sorellina di un'altra mia amica. Uh, quindi mm-hmm. io la, la conosco da un sacco di tempo. È un, uh, uno scrive. Are you still doing the MW program? Silence. Io lei. No, no, you, 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 you. No, 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 not not now. Not, not now. now. Okay, not you're now. on pause. No, no. You're on pause. Listen, so I'm going to... Um, allora, fai la domanda al professore. Okay. Allora la faccio in italiano? Ottimo. No, no, se vuoi anche in Swahili, non lo so io. Cosa pensi? Parla tedesco però se vuoi. Anche in georgiano. Anche in georgiano. Benissimo. Allora, la mia domanda è questa. Volevo capire qual è il rapporto tra Cintiglia e le altre vitigni del sud dell'Italia. Sì, sì. Perché mi hanno detto recentemente che c'era un'uva in Spagna, nella città di Jerez, che era la stessa, la stessa uva della quale io non so il nome. Per cui mi chiedevo i rapporti di Cintiglia con altri vitigni. Sì, sì, no, non è Ma che... Ma ascolta, secondo te che accento ha Susanna? Un accento particolare, no? Ma non, non riesco a... Ma, ma capisci che è americana o no? No, no. no. Pensavo che, io penso che sia italiana che... Ah, ok, un complimento. Non ha, non ha, non ha nessun, nessuna cadenza inglese, ho pochissimo. Non ho nessuna cadenza perché ho imparato l'italiano a Firenze. Ah, ecco. Qui ah, mi ha okay. la vita. Eh, si, si vede, si, sì. sente, si sente benissimo. Lei complimenti, parla... Parlo un italiano che forse non parlo neanch'io così bene, probabilmente. Non è vero. Comunque, la ringrazio, mi lusinga il complimento. Ok, dai, vai. Allora, la tintiglia è una varietà spagnola che deriva dal nord-ovest della Spagna, dalla zona del Somontano, come viene chiamata. Ed è... eh, Noi abbiamo la stessa varietà con un nome diverso in Corsica e in Sardegna che si chiama Caricagiola. Il, okay. cari, il caricagiola sardo e, e, e corso è la, la, la tintilia ed è un vitigno ah, okay. che ha un rapporto di parentela genetico con la parraletta, la parraletta che non è 
la parelada. Sono due vitigni diversi, la paralletta e la parelada. La tintilia è imparentata con la paralletta. Quindi, che è questo, questo vitigno spagnolo. Sono, è spagnolo, è, arrivato, è arrivata con la Spagna in Italia, la, la, la tintilia. Ah, Anche ah, la parola okay. stessa, eh, tintilia, si riferisce a tinto, si riferisce a, a vino rosso. Quindi è un vitigno che ha molto colore. E tintilia ha questa, questa parola, come noi, non so, potremmo chiamare un nerello, per esempio, perché fa un colore, non ha un colore molto scuro il nerello come vino, i nerelli non sono i neri, i neri sono vitigni che danno colore in Italia, mentre i nerelli sono vitigni che danno colori più sfumati. La tintiglia per gli spagnoli è un vitigno che dà molto colore. Ma dove vengono piantate in Italia? In Italia è Molise, solo in Molise. Dov'è Molise? Il Molise no, è... era una battuta, ah. Tullio, dai, hai fatto pazienza. Okay, okay. Allora, okay. Ma sì, ma sì, scusami. Io gli spiegavo sai che una volta... No, una volta io sono passata in auto con un gruppo di ragazzi e parliamo di Molise, ho detto, ma dov'è Molise? E loro hanno detto, ma l'abbiamo già attraversata Molise. Non c'è mica scritto sì, sui Molise. Sì, esatto. Questo è Molise. Però sai che hanno fatto una grande... Um, pubblicità recente. Susanna, se tu forse me l'hai detto che stanno offrendo i soldi, un mm. finanziamento per andare a vivere a Molise. Per la prima sì, una ci, sì, sono, ci sono, persone, ci sono sì, moltissimi paesi abbandonati, ci sono molti paesi abbandonati nell'Appennino Molisano, molto belli, uh -huh. che praticamente sono quasi gratuiti, addirittura offrono eh, per un valore simbolico di un euro eh, una casa alle persone che vogliono vivere, a tornare a vivere lì, eh, che possono sistemarsela praticamente, gliela regalano, perché sono tutti, sì, paesi, sono tutti paesi che se ne stanno, perché Bolise è una regione tipicamente montuosa, anche se ha un po' di, 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 così, di, di mare, ma la, la gran parte del Bolise è montagna, ed è una, una regione che ha avuto tantissimi problemi anche sociali nel passato e di... di di lavoro con le persone, ma si è spopolata, Molise è una, una regione che si è spopolata. No, però era uscito questo articolo sul New York Times sì. e poi hanno suscitato tutto questo interesse sì, nella sì. nostra community, certo. tutti volevano sì, sì. andare a vivere, a, lì. Sì, vivere lì, piantare i viti. Però non lì. ci sono strade, non ci sono, ci sono problemi per arrivarci. Ma è, esatto, è la parte romantica sì, no, dell'Italia. Dopo, dopo due settimane i romantici sono <ride> a casa però eh. due settimane vanno, stanno tutti romantici però, però magari ma... ci andiamo tutti ora perché c'è questa poi virus. quando si accorgono che non c'è la corrente che non c'è l'acqua che non ci sono le fogne che non ci sono le strade che l'ospedale più vicino è a quattro ore di distanza che per andare a comprare il pane ci vogliono minimo due ore a quel punto lì il romantico diventa... no ma ci sono i romantici sì, che fanno sì, sì. io ho tanti, ho tanti studenti che si sono laureati e poi hanno pensato di andare a fare i contadini come una volta, no? con eh. la zappa, il cavallo, eh, le galline, la capra, eccetera, eccetera. Due mesi sono durati. Sì, McDonald's had a farm. Due mesi. E poi sono scappati, eh? Eh, non ce sì? n'è più nessuno di quelli lì in campagna. Eh. Comunque, uh, listen, Susanna, um, come va con il coronavirus lì? Oddio. Parliamo dell'altra mia, mia domanda. Sì, sì, sì. Quella, è quella, della, è quella dei terreni vulcanici, non sbaglio, sì. no? Sì, fai, fai, fai la domanda. Allora, la mia domanda è il suolo vulcanico, della quale parliamo tutti ultimamente, cosa porta al vino? Cioè, cosa troviamo nel bicchiere? 
Beh, noi dobbiamo intanto definire direi molto bene cos'è un suolo vulcanico perché è una definizione molto generica perché se c'è una categoria di suoli molto direi articolata nella composizione sono i suoli vulcanici perché possono derivare da rocce intrusive, fusive, basiche, acide, da, da lave, da piroclasti, da eruzioni marine recenti, antiche, cioè dire vulcanico non vuol dire niente perché se io le dico che ci sono eh, zone vulcaniche ad esempio come l'Etna, l'Etna è una delle zone vulcaniche più recenti, molto recente come anche il Vulture, ci sono invece eh, terreni vulcanici antichissimi che sono invece in Alto Adige, nella zona del dei porfidi, tanto per dire, non so, pensi a Terrano per esempio, ecco tra la composizione chimica dei dei porfidi o dei basalti, anche dei basalti ad esempio di Soave e quella dei dei basalti della della, della struttura strutturale dell'Etna c'è una differenza enorme, tutti sono vulcanici, ma tutti hanno un effetto completamente diverso. Poi c'è un'altra cosa importante da dire, di terreni vulcanici puri ce ne sono molto pochi in Italia. Eh, noi confondiamo molto spesso non so, Soave per dire che è vulcanico. C'è una parte di Soave che è vulcanica, c'è una parte di Soave che è calcarea e c'è una parte di Soave che è il frutto della mescolanza tra matrici vulcaniche e matrici sedimentarie calcaree. Così, non so, per ah. esempio, il vulture. Il vulture ha una parte che è vulcanica, ma la gran parte del vulture è una, è sedimentaria, sono flish, la gran parte del vulture è flish, Solo una, perché? perché le eruzioni che sono avvenute nel vulture, come quelle che sono avvenute nella zona di Soave, sono tutte eruzioni marine sotterranee, sottomarine. Una pasta parte del tempo. Cioè l'esplosione del, del vulcano ha provocato eh, l'uscita della lava, la quale poi si è nel tempo mescolata con i sedimenti del mare. Vulcanici puri, ci sono ad esempio l'Etna, ecco, quello è vulcanico puro, o i terreni vulcanici della, della, dell'Alto Adige, quelli sono puri, tutti gli altri sono banalmente mescolati. Ad esempio anche eh, lei citava l'Irpinia, ecco l'Irpinia, oh. la zona dei Taurasi per esempio, che è la zona così, che, che nell'immaginario popolare è una zona vulcanica, la quota di zona vulcanica nella, nella DOC, nella DOCG di Taurasi, è la parte più piccola. La parte più importante del Taurasi è, sono i flish, sono questi depositi eh, terrigini nel mare, ci sono anche delle parti vulcaniche, perché i treni vulcanici del, di Taurasi sono il frutto delle esplosioni vulcaniche del, del Vesuvio. Non c'era un vulcano a Taurasi, sono i, i materiali lanciati, i piroclasti lanciati dal Vesuvio che si sono depositati nella zona del di Taurasi e poi sono stati variamente mescolati con i depositi del mare perché nel, in una fase successiva il mare si è innalzato e ha coperto. Adesso con l'erosione hanno scoperto le parti vulcaniche e sono riemerse le parti vulcaniche ma sono depositi che vengono in gran parte da, questi, da queste ceneri eh, lanciate dal Vesuvio che ha lanciato ceneri fino, fino alla, alla, alla Siberia. Eh hanno trovato ceneri del Vesuvio fino in Siberia, per dire eh, wow. la, 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 la distanza che può coprire una cenere, sono enormi. Le hanno... Allora, i, i, i terreni vulcanici dell'Irpinia, 
che noi diciamo essere poi alla base dei vini del Taurale sono una piccola parte rispetto a tutti gli altri terreni, una parte sono di tipo continentale come vengono chiamati, sono di origine marina, una parte sono i frisch, una parte poi sono di origine dolomitica, anche questo è importante, e poi una parte piccola sono di origine vulcanica. Allora di terreni vulcanici vulcanici ce ne sono pochi, la gran parte sono il mix ed è lì la grande qualità, cioè mettere assieme finalmente le marne di un frisch, eh, la, la, i depositi alluvionali o sedimentari di, un terre, di una roccia eh, dolomitica assieme ai, a, alle ceneri di un vulcano. Questa è l'idea. Dunque, perché i vini vulcanici hanno questa fama più o meno meritata? Intanto perché vengono da zone molto particolari. Lei pensi alle Azzorre, pensi a, a, a tanti territori, pensi alla Salina, pensi a Pantelleria, eh, pensi, non so, alla zona de, 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 attorno al Vulcano, attorno al Vesuvio, pensi, non so, a, eh, sono tutti quanti terreni che, vi, che sono in ambienti molto difficili, dove la vita fa molta fatica a, a vivere, quindi dove concentra in modo particolare nell'acino eh, le cose che servono per fare un vino. Comunque bisogna dire che questi suoli sono molto ricchi di microelementi, quindi i microelementi non sono ferro ma sono anche moribdeno, sono anche vanadio, sono anche zinco, sono anche bromo. Tutti questi microelementi che ruolo hanno? Hanno un ruolo di, eh, catalitico, sono sostanze che non entrano nelle reazioni della pianta ma le eh, attivano, le energizzano e eh, molti di, dei prodotti che poi ritroviamo sono il risultato di queste, di queste sintesi, quindi un terreno vulcanico per sua natura è un terreno molto reattivo, qualcosa che dà alla pianta una grande energia nelle, nelle sintesi. Now you understand why he's called a flishman, right? Mamma mia! Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, listen, do you want to repeat your questions also for our listeners in English? You had two questions. Those were, I asked those two questions. Do you want me to ask yeah, them again? Yeah, can you say that? Yeah, in English. Do you want me to say it in English and he's going to answer me again in English? No, just repeat the question in English. Sure. We can do this like for 10 minutes. You say it in English. <laughs> I say it in Italian. You say it in English. Okay, just repeat your question, your two questions in English for our listeners, please. Susanna Gold. Of course. So my first question was, what is the relationship between Tintiglia from Molise and other grape varieties from south, southern Italy? I've heard that there's a relationship between Tintiglia and a grape in Spain, in Jerez. Is that true? And your second question was? My second question was, um, everyone's talking about volcanic soil lately, and what does it bring to the glass? What do we find in the glass? And I was wondering if volcanic soils change a lot from area to area. I imagine they do, but I'm not sure uh, why, and are there any that are similar? Right, so you had mentioned the Suave and El Pina, for example. Okay, yeah. all right, so um, salutiamo Susanna. Thank you very much for calling in. Grazie, spero di poterla Grazie. rivedere in Grazie. Italia magari. Fantastico. Ma sicuro, bene. sicuro, la, la, bene, la bene. vedrà. E magari fare anche un viaggio in Italia. Ma spero... Assieme. Yeah, we're planning, uh, noi stiamo ipotizzando Sardegna, in Sardegna, sì, una settimana in Sardegna. So, we'll give you more information about that and via community. Facciamo il periplo della Sardegna in ottobre. Ok. 
Fantastico, sì, sì super okay. volentieri. Okay. Grazie mille. Ciao Susanna. Ciao, buona giornata. Grazie, arrivederci. Arri a presto. Arrivederci, arrivederci. Should we just press that? Okay. Okay, so that was Susanna Golf uh, calling in from New York City very early in the morning. And um, thank you um, for listening to Italian Wine Podcast. The Everybody Needs a Bit of Scienza. Um, you see, Jacob, now you understand why I couldn't just do the translation, like simultaneous translation, like, right? You understand that now. Is that clear to you? I cannot do this. Okay, uh, follow us, don't forget, on Facebook and Instagram, and, and tweet us as well. That's at Italian Wine Podcast. Alla prossima. Devo salutare, sempre ringraziare molti. La fiaccia. Perché non so mai quando. Ciao, Monti. Io ringrazio sempre volentieri Monti per la sua presenza. Va bene, va bene. Ti darà una padelletta in testa. Ciao, ciao, Monti. Ciao, everybody. Listen to all of our pods on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and on Italian Wine Podcast. Com. Don't forget to send your tweets to at Itawine Podcast. Thanks for listening.